0: Well, we are continuing on. I'm in the Gospel of John this morning. I'm coming to chapter four, and a special thanks again to George um, for last week. Even though um, he said he wasn't preaching, it was just a message, I think that God somehow spoke through it. So thank you, George, um, for that, for your message last week. And um, as we come to John again this morning, um, I want to remind you a little bit of where we've been. We've been talking some about firsts in John. I've been talking about how John approaches and thinks about things differently, which is one of the reasons why I'm drawn to John. I've also talked about how I think that John has something unique to say in our time and place, um, in our day and age. And so that's why as I prayed about and thought about what to begin with, um, I settled on the Gospel of John. But now as we get to this encounter of Jesus with the Samaritan woman, it comes on the heels of John the Baptist testifying about Jesus for the second time. And one of the things that he says about Jesus that will be key um, in John 4 is that Jesus comes to give the Spirit without limit. Jesus comes to give the Spirit without limit. So hear now the word of the Lord and the Spirit filling not only the word, but you, um, as you hear these words. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. And now he had to go through Samaria. And so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, and hurts. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will come up in them a spring of boiling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say, You have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Lord, this morning, as your spirit is within us, and as your spirit is in your word, we pray that the two will come together in a way that helps us not only understand, but to live more fully um, these words of life. We pray this um, in Christ's name. And so as I begin talking about this passage, I want to talk a little bit about um, deserts and desserts. (laughs) First of all, deserts, because I never thought, um, growing up in Colorado, that I would marry... I'm an Arizona girl and end up spending more time than I had planned on in the desert. I'm going to visit her and her family I'm in Phoenix. But one of the things that I have learned in my time in the desert is that there is nothing better than the smell of rain in the desert. Has anybody experienced that? From miles away, sometimes you can smell the rain when you're in the desert. Because water is less scarce, it helps you know how precious and valuable it is And because of that lack. And so deserts have helped me with this whole image of living water and why it is that it's a picture that Scripture and that Jesus gives us of God being the source of life. But I also need to talk about desserts because desserts have helped me understand a different kind of lack. And one dessert in particular, and it's actually very serendipitous that we had donuts this morning, because donuts are one of my favorite things. And when I was in college, my sophomore year at CSU in Fort Collins, I lived in an apartment that was literally right across the alley from Daylight Donuts, And every Tuesday, Daylight Donuts would have a two-for-one dozen donut special. So my roommate and I would go to Daylight Donuts and we would get two dozen donuts. And we'd bring them home and you would think that two dozen donuts would be enough for two 19-year-old college students, right? But they were often gone by noon or at least by the end of the day And unfortunately, often I would also not only eat my share, but some of my roommates' share as well. Turns out that donuts as a way to deal with stress or anxiety or whatever it may have been is probably not the healthiest idea. (laughs) Because it turns out that no matter how many of them you eat, eventually you're going to want or need more. Because as that sugar tells your brain, oh, things are okay now, eventually that wears off, right? And then you find yourself realizing that you need more. So sometimes lack helps us to see and understand that something is indeed precious. But sometimes a lack of something just reminds us that things are not as they were intended to be, that we are not whole or complete or fulfilled in all kinds of ways and that lack just makes that even more poignant. And that's what's at the core of this passage. Jesus tells the Samaritan woman after he tells her about living water go and do what? Bring back your husband. And her response is, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you are right, you have had five husbands. And the person you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. We don't know the details, but for whatever reason, for this woman, there was a lack of love. And she felt like she needed to find it however and whenever and wherever she could. And so she had had five husbands. And now the one that she is with is not her husband. And so Jesus says what you need is to really realize that you can't keep going to that well over and over and over again in that way and somehow expect to be made whole to be filled because what you really need is living water that comes from the source of life that will well up within you like a limitless spring. And John the Baptist tells us that Jesus came to give the Spirit without limit. Thank you. I am preaching the gospel, right? (laughs) Amen. Thank you. We are entering a season that is marked by this so deeply in our culture. We're entering this season where somehow buying and buying and more and more... And busier and busier, another party, another thing, um, somehow is going to give us joy and fulfillment to last the whole year long, right? Or even longer. And every year it seems to get more and earlier, and there's more to do and more to think about in terms of another gift. Just get this thing and you will be fulfilled. Without this, you will be incomplete and we hear this over and over and again and again. And most of that, right, is centered around money, centered around our relationship with, because we do indeed have a relationship with money and what we think that that will do for us. And just like Jesus says to the woman at the well, you need instead living water. Something that truly is a resource and without limit and that will not leave you empty, that will not distort even who you are as a human being because of your longing for it. You need living water, and Jesus has this water, and not only does he have it, he's willing to give it to whoever would ask, to whoever would come and receive, and so I've talked about how there are three firsts in this passage, and basically the three firsts are that this is Jesus' first one-on-one encounter with a woman. It's his first one-on-one encounter with a Samaritan, and it's the first time that he directly says to anyone, at least in John's gospel, yes, I am Messiah. That is who I am, and what I have come to do is to rescue you from all of the things that you think will fill you, but are just traps, and that will not actually end up doing that. And so not only is the spirit limitless and the gospel limitless, but Jesus demonstrates in this passage his willingness to overcome any barrier, to bring the gospel to whoever might receive it. He speaks to a woman, he speaks to a Samaritan, He goes through Samaria and I'm sure you've heard at other times that that was something most Jewish people wouldn't do, that they would literally go around to avoid going through Samaria. I'm not actually sure that that's true (laughs) because we, as human beings, often do what? What's easiest, what's quickest, what's most convenient? So I'm sure that most Jewish people went through Samaria but thought to themselves, oh, I will just stay to myself, I won't mingle. I won't contaminate myself, become unclean, impure, but I'm not gonna take all the time to go around all this to go through. But Jesus breaks down both of those barriers, speaking to women and to a Samaritan. And when the disciples get back from buying food, they're shocked, right? they're astounded that Jesus is talking to this woman. But interestingly enough, Jesus tells her more directly than almost anybody in the Gospels, yes, I'm the Messiah. I am the Messiah. Why does he do that? You've heard biblical scholars talk about this whole thing of the messianic secret, right? Why is it that Jesus was so reluctant to tell people who he really was? Why did he talk in parables and indirectly about so many things? I used to think it was because, and there's all kinds of reasons, that he was biding his time, that he was making sure that things didn't get too out of hand before he got to the point where he needed to get to in his ministry, that he was trying not to reveal too much of this mystery of what he was doing. But as I've read John especially, but also the other Gospels, I've realized that there's also something else to it. Jesus was more than willing to tell people who he was if he felt like that they would respond in the right way. Or if they were people who weren't people in power who might try to co-opt what it is that he was doing. Not only is the spirit limitless and not only is the gospel willing to overcome any barrier to bring life to people, but there's nothing more dangerous than the gospel being co-opted for ulterior motives, for other people's purposes. And so Jesus purposely didn't tell the wrong people who he was and what he was doing because he knew that their motivation would be to take it on for their own purposes. And somehow he knew that this woman would do exactly what she does, and that is share it freely freely with no strings attached, and with no agenda. And probably because of where she was and who she was and what Jesus did for her, he was was willing to tell her. And also at the end of this passage when she kind of almost misdirects things, um, to talk about worship, I used to just think that was her changing the subject, let's stop talking about me. Let's start talking about something else but it ties in to exactly what Jesus is trying to say. My spirit is limitless. I will give you life that truly fulfills and the way that you encounter that on a regular basis that helps you walk the life of faith is in worship. Is in worship in spirit And in truth, what we do here when we gather is not somehow a tangent, not somehow a sideline, not a break or a pause. It is essential to who we are and what we do as we follow Jesus and to the life of faith. We have been offered living water. It will become a well springing up within us that will overflow to life for others as well. But so often we get plugged, (laughs) right? If I can put it that way, we get clogged because we somehow think that other things will fill us and so we keep Searching, keep grabbing, keep trying to fulfill ourselves from sources other than the creator of life. And like I said, I can't think of any place in our culture than we do that with more than money. We somehow think that saving it, earning it, investing it whatever it might be, and those are all good things because money is a tool, but when we think that somehow life will come from that, we let money do things to us that God never intended. We become consumers. Consumers? You are human beings, not consumers. God has created us for so much more, so much more. He wants us to have life and have it to the full. And so in this season of consumption, there's only one way I know to help us to combat that. There's only one way I know that really frees us from that and that's giving. That's letting the life that God has given us well up from within us and overflow. And I would say not only giving, but giving particularly to the place where worship happens. You've, a lot of you have received my letter about where we're at financially, about that we are significantly behind. But the reason that we should give to that is not because of that need. And the reason that we should give is because we desperately need to give. It is in giving that we are freed, that we are emptied so that we might be filled with what truly gives us life. Living water without limit, that Jesus has brought the spirit without limit. And so may you be full in a way where you will never experience emptiness, loneliness in a way that you feel like you can never overcome because Christ came and lived and died and rose and ascended so that we could have And be filled with living water that will never run out. Amen.